just hated it. California weather that others, so many others loved. I just hated the relentless pounding heat. I was just like, oh, I just despised it. <laughs> but then during the like, I don't know if it's not summer, then it's not too much heat or it was too hot for you anyway. It was just the sameness that drove me mad. And then I went back to the East Bay. I'd always liked the Bay Area because it, it, ha- it ha- had had a lot of variety. It used to have tons of rains and fogs. And, and mm-hmm. it st- still has more, certainly. But it's, I just noticed that it, well, we were always in drought. There was always being, it was always being unusually hot, even in the Bay Area for many, many years. So it wasn't as satisfying when I went back. So actually, that's been one of the great things about coming back to the East, because the weather is so dramatic and changing and... Heat definitely doesn't dominate except for, you know, here and there in patches in the summer, but otherwise, no. But not like New York, right? Summer in in Buffalo is nothing like New York, which is hell, too. Yeah, no, at least you're not trapped in concrete. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, no, because there's trees and grass and everything else. It softens the whole experience of, yeah. And thunderstorms keep rolling through in this dramatic way, and I really love I really love that. And they can be very unexpected and super violent compared to what California ever had. So I, yeah. I'm crazy about that. So that's great. No, I, yeah, I get it. I come from like where there are four distinct seasons. Mm-hmm. So it just, yeah, yeah. Th- this, this, this thing is very uh, dystopian, not necessarily in, in the best way. There's something like weirdly, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't like Bay Area either, so I don't share mm-hmm. that. I don't necessarily think it's superior in any way to like so- <laughs> Southern California. But I don't know, here specifically, there's something like, there's something kind of anodyne, right, about sun. Mm -hmm. But if you're depressed or it's supposed to kind of like slightly soothe you, because it's just always, right? But then it doesn't always work. It almost sometimes works in reverse. That's how it was for me. I got used to get sun depression. If it went on and on and on, Mm -hmm. unrelieved, I would just start getting, so that the glare seemed like a personal hostility of the world. (laughs) I just, (laughs) I just hated it so much. I can't even convey. By the end, I was just like ready to claw my own face off. I was just one of the many elements. I was like, get me out of this state. I can't live in California anymore. Oh God. Yeah. Wait, did you, it's almost like I feel like you served your time. I did. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) Wait, how many years? (laughs) You did so many years. I I went out there for what I thought was one year, probably, or a couple years, in 1988, and I stayed until, what, a year ago, a little over a year ago. Yeah, so, it's, so you served I just went on and on and on. Of course, there's great things. I mean, I, I loved yeah. a lot of my California, but the weather was never for me, and especially the southern part of the state. I just hated it. Oh, my God. Wait, but how many years you served in LA, specifically? How long was I? Let's see. It was six, It was like roughly five or six years in L. I think it was six years in L. A. and maybe five years, if I'm remembering right, in in Orange County, which was just oh, no. so god awful. <laughs> Wait a second. What's in Orange County? University? I was teaching at Chapman University. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Chapman is there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So that was just <laughs> that just ruined it. That is, and that was when I then we fled back to the Bay Area, and so for a while I felt a lot better because at least it was better than Orange County. My God, my light years. Um, Wait, and yeah. so Philippe was also teaching at Chapman. No, he was commuting. He was then it was really easy. People don't even remember. Southwest used to have this great thing where you could get all these I forget what they called you, frequent flyer friend of how they had a name for it. Anyway, super mm-hmm. insanely cheap. It was like a commuter bus that was really good. And he, he said, he, oh, so many people commuted back and forth um, huh. to the Bay Area where he taught at UC Berkeley. So he had a Tuesday Thursday schedule. He'd just fly up there Tuesday morning, fly back Thursday evening, and the rest of the time he was, you know. In Southern California. Oh, man. So he was with you in Orange County. That's devotion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was very good of him not to just say, well, <laughs> we yeah, can be a long not distance. Not for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because especially because he was a Bay Area guy, 100%, his whole family. You know, I thought the academic thing, at least the only, I mean, semi good thing about it, let's say if he was already teaching in Berkeley, there's the whole idea of spousal hire. Yes. That it almost can be. Oh, that's how I got the job because they loved Philippe so much. So that, oh, I ah, clearly but not got immediately. Not, but I didn't ask. You know, what was haunting is the minute he asked, they were like, "Really? Would she come?" <laughs> we had no idea. We were like thinking, "Oh no," because usually they wouldn't hire you if you had studied there. 
They didn't want you. You had to go away uh-huh. and prove yourself and be away a long time and then maybe. Um, and so that's what I did. I was away a very long time. I taught at another university, all this other stuff. And then they said, no, no, come come back. But it was so easy that I cursed myself. I wish we had asked way earlier. Asked earlier, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, that's the, the kind of what I call the curse of... Uh the shy people <laughs> oh, it, it absolutely is it, is, it has been such a pattern in my life like I, I, why didn't i ask jack if i could write a lot more for much better money earlier i mean it's just really <laughs> what's wrong with me i have no ability to assert myself no and it's really a kind of shyness combined with ego there's this feeling of like i should just be that good that people should come to me <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. It's not just shy. It's got oh, oh yeah, it's years when we were ready for exile or exiled, as it was called, you know, in America. I I was just like, why aren't they coming to us? We're obviously great. Why yeah. why aren't? Where's the offers? I was really uh, honestly shocked that we weren't, you know, coming to us. Wait, what do you mean in terms of exile? What kind of offers? When we were right, you know. I was I didn't write for it that long, but when we you know Mark you know had to come back to America, yeah. got basically railroaded out of Russia, and you know so we so we tried to reestablish exile in the United States. Of course, and we were writing and writing for for years, really really hardcore writing, like assiduously writing for a number of years, and I I think with the idea like someone's going to come along with funding to and it, yeah. and, and it just no, we just kept writing and writing, and then ultimately people just sort of dispersed to other other gigs, <laughs> other writing. Um, yeah. types of jobs well, or other sort of podcasts. replicated oh. the, the Russian sort of a, it was. The, the Russian kind of angle here. But yeah, but but anyway, the whole this is the shy, the shy thing. I mean, it's so un-American too. It's so what? I'm sorry? Un-American. So un-American. Oh, I know. This is why another reason I never fit in. <laughs> I never belong like in to kind of amazing, Not that I'm, I'm not trying to essentialize Americans because that's uh, dumb too. I'm not generalizing. But there is something like, you know. There are certain cultural biases in favor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, so yeah, there's yeah. like a general idea. This is what you're describing is very un-American. Very. You're supposed to be asserting yourself. The used car salesman is like the model American. You're supposed yeah, to be yeah, this used car salesman. <laughs> A backslapping, joking, pushy kind of <laughs> yes. person. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, well, I actually brought it pretty close, right? Used car salesman is basically a snake oil salesman because yeah, the cars yeah. might be really bad. Uh-huh. So, yeah. <laughs> so it's. Uh, but you've got to aggressively sell what you have all the time. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, twice as expensive as it, <laughs> as it if really costs. If you can, cost. if you're any <laughs> you good. Can, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh man, well, you're like an American dissident then. I am. I just was. I was just built all wrong for this culture. <laughs> all wrong. And it wasn't until I really left for for a time. I mean, especially when I went to Ireland, which you know, it's not like I'm I'm recently from there. I don't, you know, my Irish ancestors are go go back hundreds of years, a couple hundred years. And I went there though, and I'm like, Jesus, I feel totally at home here. This is so really <laughs> oh freaky because people were, are really very. At least the people I experienced. I was mainly in the countryside and on the kind mm-hmm. of west side of Ireland. And, and people were just very quiet and shy, but had a kind of shy humor. They're also very funny, had kind of dry yeah. sort of humor. But they were they were almost like animals and that they'd kind of peek at you in a shy kind of way with a little <laughs> slight smile. And, you know, they, no one wanted to rudely approach you or anything. But then they didn't, you know, it was, but they were quite friendly. But, mm-hmm. but it, in this shy animal kind of way. And they were very into animals. And you know, animals were on the money then. Animals were ever You didn't go into a shop where there wasn't a cat, a dog. Mm-hmm. Dogs were everywhere. Little donkeys that had dogs riding on their backs seemed to be ever, It was just like paradise for me. I was just like, I love this place. I love the I love the pubs. I love the towns. I love the landscape. I love the weather. I and I seem to instinctively understand these people. Yeah, I was the loudest, most aggressive person in the room. <laughs> I am not. <laughs> I'm really. I'm you, not. you mean in Ireland? In Ireland. Yeah. Oh, whoa. Then you would be people like very quiet, <laughs> <laughs> outgoing. Wait, did you stay there for a while? Or you mean just visiting? Oh, I was just visiting. I was just on tour with my, with my, with my, mainly with my father, with my parents. Yeah. We were on a big, you know, two week tour of Ireland kind of thing. Yeah. Wait, I thought, I mean, isn't it like, um, I might be remembering wrong. I think one of the John Dolan's thing is to try to get the Irish citizenship because probably yeah. you could do it too if you No, unfortunately, prove. mine are so far back. He has his, his, is it his grandparents? I think it's his grandparents. Right from Ireland, or is it? It's, you might even be one of his parents. Anyway, he's much closer. Yeah, so he's still waiting to hear. I believe if he's going to get it. 
Yeah. Yeah, because I think that's what's there kind of, I mean, Which I'm I guess, so praying because then I'm going to go stay with them for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I've already warned them. I will be coming to stay with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess, well, I've never been, I mean, I've been to England, I know I've been to Ireland, but, but at least, I mean, in, in my head, I, I hope I don't journalize too much. It seems like the best kind of playwrights are Irish or, or Jews, <laughs> Irish and, and Jews. And so there's some kind of affinity there. Like wow! Something. <laughs> wow! Okay, oh, isn't it like I, I, don't, I don't think know. it's uh, such an original like, idea? But I uh, think about all the I don't know famous 20th century <laughs> playwrights. They're either oh, Irish oh, yeah, or that's Jewish. true. Playwrights specifically, it, not just I'm not saying oh, just writers. I, that word kind of I didn't get that. Okay, yes, playwrights, absolutely, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, hugely. So, which is something about the word and kind of and the they back worship and forth. writers in Ireland. They're famous for this. So I think there's even the the, the tax incredible tax break for there was for a long time if there isn't now that you didn't pay taxes if you were a writer in ireland and i'm crazy like how much do we honor writers here it was really a beautiful thing yeah yeah well here yeah not so much not not so much (laughs) but i still impressed uh that i mean and people at least definitely in russia whatever i I bet outside of america don't know it that much that still they're like at least in hollywood they're like pretty strong unions and writers unions that somewhat like you know fight for their rights and collectively so there's i mean i don't know at least, yeah, at least there's, there's some collective tradition. bargain yeah yeah there's some tradition they're not just complete i mean i know that they're definitely pretty low on the food right. chain right. Right. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> but at least there was an impulse to fight for yeah uh, and collectively the like there's something i think that's yeah. the only reason people like some people obviously the minority of writers here but still mm. kind of make a lot of money in the residuals and all that and yeah if you can actually get in on it you know, you, you'll meet definitely if you hang around in Hollywood long enough, you'll meet writers who have lived great lives for decades on almost non-existent credits because they're always totally. just the, <laughs> the 15th, the 15th rewriter on some some franchise thing and they can make a huge bucket of money from that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which is depressing in its own way, obviously. It is. Yeah. yeah. It's like you're non-existent, but... Yes. I have non-existent <laughs> credits, but I have a fabulous house in the hills and I, I want for nothing. It's a very strange phenomenon. <laughs> yeah. You're like, yeah. Weird. Yeah. Only, only in Hollywood. I mean, it's like a weird... It's a really weird phenomenon. Right. Right. Yeah. It's a strange yeah. system to have set up and kept going all this time. But yeah. Anyway. Yeah. It's almost weird because usually, I mean, I like it, Russia or oh, I don't know is it European thing it's kind of normal concept to say for writers and creative people to have fame but no money or very little money mm-hmm. but here it's frequently I don't know always money, like and, no money fame. and no fame like <laughs> no you're non-existent no one cares about you your name means nothing but hey you might have 20 million dollars right this concept I started like I mean I mean seeing it a little bit around and I was like this is very foreign to me mm-hmm yeah, Super and weird. you'd have to have a system like that where it's it's weirdly, weirdly profitable, but they don't res- have any respect for the actual written word. So, <laughs> you know, uh, th- someone else ca- should always be hired to come in and punch up some aspect of it, and it just goes on <laughs> and on. It's such a strange, such a strange thing to have instituted. It really is baffling. Yeah. But it gets you well, that kind of tapioca writing, you know, it's all just a mush of, you know, because there can be no personality in it. It all gets written out in these big, in these big films. And then I, when I found out that actors, the top actors had their own screenwriters who rewrote for them. And I was just like, I, I was very naive. I had no idea of any of this when what, I first went. for their voice? Like, let's say actor thinks I have this voice. And if you're a writer in a film. You have your own screen, a lot of them, I don't know if all of them do, but you have your own screenwriter who gets to do a pass on the script in a lot of wow, cases. it's really like contract. a servant, like Back some kind of like. Beef up. And I, someone, someone gave me, I think it was like, it was an old film, but it was an old script copy of a, and said, well, Julia Roberts, you know, had this punched up for her or, or I forget if it was, it was written with her in mind to try to, it's either, it's written with top stars in mind because you're trying to lure them in to do your material but there were just every other paragraph seemed like if if there was description it was a description of how beautiful 
<laughs> the young woman was and how she'd fling back her long mane of, of, of reddish brown hair. And, and it would go on and on describing essentially Julia Roberts, you know, being beautiful and sexy over and over to the point that it was so embarrassing. You'd have thought she would have said, I, I refuse to do this <laughs> while all this nonsense is in here that my, my the fellow actors could read. You'd think, but apparently not. No. <laughs> Oh man! Oh, yeah, that's really that's embarrassing. Yeah, <laughs> get your characters more lines, make them more heroic. I just like what? That's so mortifying. I just can't. I hope these people who like have no names but do the three rights and have huge houses and a lot of money. I mean, at least I hope they're like morbidly depressed. You think? Yeah, they must be earning it. <laughs> no, it's so, like there should be it's something. Just in sheer I mean. emotional emotional hell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah. hope I hope they're not so under so in, medicated. And, <laughs> Sure, I'm <laughs> depressed. There's no way. It's like there's some kind of devil's deal. Like, I mean, you do this. Yeah. There's no way you should feel good too. No, when I first went on Prozac and and I was in LA at the time, and and she's like, oh yeah, we we really need to put it in the water here because we might as well because everybody's on it. Everybody in town is on really. It. And I was like, oh, really? I had no idea. Oh, God, yeah. Antidepressants. So, and you were prescribed it too, just like pretty. Oh, no like, problem. In fact, they urged me. And I even asked. <laughs> and being this kind of naive idealist, I said, well, shouldn't I be seeing a therapist? You know, this yeah. was just a psychiatrist who prescribes. Mm-hmm. And, 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 the, and the psychiatrist said, well, why? And I said, well, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, just to talk about, you know, whatever the roots of the depression. She's like, why? The pills are working, aren't they? And at the time, they really were. So I was like, well, yeah. And she's like, then what's the problem? <laughs> she actively talked me out of talking to a Wait, therapist. but you know, there's some truth to like, I guess if they met a lot of people on it, they're like, well, we know what the roots are. This place is evil. Look what or, it wants. Maybe it, it. She, if only she'd said that, I would have loved it so much better. Like, let's face what your problems are here. There are the rampant capitalist practices of this place, but she didn't even have anything that sophisticated. And of course, unfortunately, for for most people, it doesn't go on working at the same strength, and you have to keep taking more and more, and then switching, and you know, and you're right back where you were going. What the fuck? Yeah. But the idea, at least initially, when it's like the good phase and it's working, mm-hmm. it's like adds like what colors to life because i've never been on that stuff i, I know people who have been on some version of that mm-hmm. not necessarily prozac it just like makes to start your you can start your day easier you're sort of more motivated right oh yeah the first sign that it was working was i literally my eyes just spontaneously opened at 7 a.m <laughs> just like bing and i was just like i had energy i laughed i laughed i swear to god for a week straight it was like a huge weight was off me i could move easily i no longer felt like time was incredibly res- like restricted I felt like mm-hmm. I had no time for anything and I was always under all this pressure to work and all of a sudden I'm like what am I worried about I have all this time I have a ton of time <laughs> it's like everything backed off me it was wonderful at first it was like heaven just heaven yeah the first week when Prozac kicked in was still one of the greatest weeks of my life because I had never not felt it okay. in my conscious life I'd never been like oh this is how other people feel who don't have depression. they walk around like feeling everything is sort of spacious and easy <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Yeah. But then it still weighs on you after like months or years of that? Couple of, you know, it, it, it certainly got, it was never like that week again. Um, but, yeah. you know, it, it worked wow. steadily. It kept, it put a floor under under the moods. That's the main thing it did. You could feel like you weren't going to go any lower. But even that faded out after a couple of years. And then they, of course, would tell you to up it and you up it and then it works a little bit and then it fades. Then you try other ones and, you know, other ones never really worked great for me. And so blah, blah, blah. You know, pretty soon I was just like, you know, nothing's really working anymore, I have to admit. So, and I literally begged somebody, can I go, can I get the effect? What can I take that would give me the effect of the first week of Prozac? And and it was another she. And she said, well, you know, we can't give you anything like that. If we and she said something insane, like if if we could if we would give could be give people that everyone would be on it. And I said, what's wrong with that? And she seemed baffled. Seemed to her <laughs> essentially clearly wrong that everyone would be super happy. <laughs> yeah. So that was what I bailed. So, yeah. 
No, it was one of the tantalizing, to segue in a semi-graceful manner, two in the movie Baccarat. Yeah. It was one of the tantalizing fun things of the movie that the whole the whole village is hopped up on some psychoactive drug. <laughs> that yeah, is- which I thought is some psychedelic like acid stuff, like because it's like a tiny kind of almost like a it tablet. Looks like, or- and that that's what's giving them this this calm in the face of total danger and this ready to just go totally. <laughs> ready to go to war thing is the drugs, <laughs> which is never talked about. It's just it's just sort of handed out. It's compared to a bad drug that is brought in by the mayor, if I was understanding that right. The, yeah, which is some sort of like painkiller. Yeah, was horrible, and the village sedate, doctor sedative. plays mm-hmm. by played by Sonia Braga, who's a super famous Brazilian actor, legendary. She says, well, you could take this. And she describes what little crap that it does. But she's like, but I don't know why you would. <laughs> and then the implication is because we're on something so much better. <laughs> why would we take this crap? It was very, very nice. Very nice to see. Very unusual to see. Yeah. Okay. Um but that that's true. I mean, I, I I was a bit confused. Yeah, a lot of things actually it's a just not not because it's not very, the just psychedelic yeah. thing. A lot of things are not explained yes. about that world, which is I guess it's fine to, to sort of show it in a more I don't know. It's, it doesn't have to be Hollywood where everything is like exactly. explained. It's not overexplained. Times. Exactly. It's not <laughs> made for dummies where you have to be lived yeah. through everything. Yes, you have to figure. And it's supposed to be there are all these mysteries about this community, and you're trying to figure out what's going on. Not just the danger, but well, what's going on in the community anyway, even on, in normal times, you're trying to figure out. Yeah. True. Yeah. Well, but. Um, but that's actually well. I don't know where where to start. It didn't bother me that a lot of things are not explained, mm-hmm. and the, the things kind of just you have to I don't know figure it out or sort of understate it. Mm-hmm. But overall, you know, so when I now carefully rewatched it, and uh, I, I I watched almost half of it like oh, like a year ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, I still. Um, I mean, I, I read your review and we, we talked a little bit about it. I know mm-hmm. you're like super excited about it and, mm-hmm. and kind of comparing it to Parasite, but I still. I mean, I can't. Basically, I, I was I was so throughout most of it, outside of like some scenes, I was so bored by it. It was so so slow, and also like doesn't really didn't do a payoff. I mean, it's almost like the first um, half of it, or even last maybe forty minutes, sort of building up to something because the world is interesting. I, I don't mind like the slow develop, but it's once the Americans come in. Well, we can talk separately about the the, Amer- the American characters. Um, that that's kind of becomes. Uh, to me, Americans becomes kind of bad caricature, not particularly interesting, too cliche. And then it's sort of like just a kind of semi-class uh, word, weird like slasher, which is n- not particularly interesting. Not because of uh, n- not enough explained, but just the, just the nature of, I don't know, how it's shot or <laughs> I don't know how it's written. Even though I was watching it carefully, and I, I don't mind particularly slow films, so for me it was like so much. So like unlike Parasite, which is very gripping, and despite yeah, being like I, and a again small I feel family. bad that mm-hmm. I ever made brought out that comparison because everyone seems to be giving it an emphasis I'd never meant it to have. All I was interested in was that um, the director himself, Mandanka, and I should give his whole mm-hmm. name. Where's his damn whole name? It's a long There's name. There's two directors, actually, um, but I think, right? It's clever, like, I think, Mandanka Fio, um, with his co-director, Juliana um, Dornell. I'm, I'm sure right. I'm pro- mispronouncing these, all these horribly, but, um, and Dornell was his production designer on his first two films and has now joined him as co-director for the first time. Um, that Madonka himself made the comparison, but in very specific terms. He just said, simply said, others could have made the comparison just in saying, wow, there's a, there's a, a, a film coming out of a country that's becoming a huge international success that, you know, that is um, you know, clearly left left in its politics. And that's the, that's the more obvious. But he was saying, no, we're sharing a world in that we were both, we're both clearly hugely influenced by these genre filmmakers. And then named John Carpenter and David Cronenberg and, you know, young Steven Spielberg and George Miller and a bunch of others from the late from the 70s and early 80s. And that was the comparison he was making. Like, he's like, we know we speak the same language. We understand each other. You know, if you look at Parasite and you look at Baccarat, other than there's a bloody kind of purge. Um, climactic point. There's the, there's no comparison. They don't look alike. They don't seem alike in their approaches. You know. So I f- I feel a little like 
I, 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 sh- I wish I hadn't drawn the comparison. <laughs> Um, because you know, people keep saying, but it's nothing <laughs> like, and I'm like, yeah. You brought it up on yourself, Eileen. Well, it does, and it doesn't matter. No one listens to me. I keep specifying yeah. this over and over again, and people keep saying, you're saying it's just like Parasite, but it isn't. I'm just like, hey. So that's a little maddening. I mean, I got it. I got it. You're like, for me, it's a little, I, of course, for me, I, I'm not hiding anything. I loved it, and I, and I loved everything about it. I loved the fact that. The slowness for you is to me. I, I never felt it was slow. I was it, to me it was so fraught with interest the entire thing, because partly because there's all these references and all these genre um, moves that it's making toward horror, toward sci-fi, toward the toward western spaghetti westerns, toward this, toward that, toward recognizable, a highly recognizable Brazilian political art film movement called Cinema Novo, which we should get into later. It's very important. Um, so I'm recognizing a million things. Plus, I loved every character. I just saw every character in the village. I loved. I thought they were so beautifully cast. They're so vivid that even if they don't say that much or do that much, they're cast so artfully. So like from the first young woman, Teresa, who comes to to town from the city where she works um, to attend the funeral of the, the matriarch of the village. Um, she's so striking looking that you just want to look at her. I mean, there's a great, um, there's a, a great gangster figure who kind of is living on the outskirts of town, holed up and is frankly starving to death and gets drawn into the final violent um, clash on behalf of the village is just fabulous looking. What's his name? Lung- Lungo? Lunga? Lunga, I think, is the name of the gangster, and I'll have to look up the name of the actor. But um, he's just fabulous to look at. It's just odd and weird and sort of ugly in a way, but sort of beautiful in another way. Just all the all the major characters. Like Sorry? the uh, the gangster character. I mean, I remember it well. Like most of it is kind of kitsch, which is I think I'm How not sure it, it was the. Well, I okay. Like my my take on it, uh, almost like watching it. Oh, <laughs> twice uh, I don't know where the director is from I tried looking up it seems like he, he's really from Brazil and he's uh, interested in the local politics and mm-hmm. local people but overall for me okay the um, mm, the village characters is sort of interesting I guess Sonia Braga might be the most interesting out of them but um, overall it's shown as this kind of colorful uh, <laughs> colorful village people uh, and there there is some kind of gaze from like um I don't know. Like, let's see what what, what I can compare it. You know, when <laughs> in Russia there are similar movies um, made, not, not as might be artful. I don't know. Even though I didn't like Bukhara that much at all, but overall, when you kind of like look at the, all the colorful, like I don't know, prostitutes, pimps, gangsters, some like uh, old village uh, women kind of hanging out and doing some, I don't know, some kind of like medicinal thing, and it, it's sort of like just. Um, a city person looks at the uh, colorful poor people with yeah, this the, sort of the real curiosity. The directors come from <laughs> from this region, and their point is, we wanted people who are like us that we know to be the heroes of the film. That's like a direct quote. This is their area, and this was the area that first was explored by Cinema Novo for political reasons because mm-hmm. it was the impoverished, the most among the most impoverished rural areas of Brazil, mm-hmm. the Northeast, um, and it had a specific. You know, history, very rough terrain, very poor people. As the, the again, Madonka pointed out, it's you know the maids who serve the wealthy in Sao Paulo yeah. come from our region. <laughs> so there's all this exploitation, complex exploitation based on you know geography and history and everything else um, that occurs. And again, Cinema Novo draws on all that. So to go back mm-hmm. to the same. Uh, landscape of Cinema Novo for the same purposes, to try to evoke um, what? Uh, Or horrible colonial history, race and class divisions, um, all of that stuff that you're exploring through the very nature of the region and the people who live there. Mm -hmm. I mean, I didn't realize this at the time, but apparently in a a film comment interview, Madonka talks about how the intended the community to be, and again, I'll mispronounce this horribly, um, a quilombo, what's it called? A quilombo, which is is Q-U-I, where is it? L-O-M-B-O, I believe. Um, I have it right here. Where is it? Yeah, Quilombo, um, which is they were settlements for for runaway slaves. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a long history of, especially you know, 
um, uh, bringing in African slaves to work the sugar plantations and the mines. There were tremendous resources in Brazil, so it has a very complex and really horrifying <laughs> colonial history. Um, so anyway, he, he called it a remixed quilombo, um, where it's going to be you know the, the, a community founded by slaves, but since all mixed um, uh, and crossed through um, with different racial um, um, and other kind of character characterizations, but they're still all people who are kind of refugees in a way from a really exploitative society with a super harsh history. So yeah, he was mm-hmm. going for that. Absolutely. So, so as much as it might seem generic, it's incredibly specific. It's incredibly about the history of the country, the history of the films that we're trying to deal with the country. So for me, that mm-hmm. was all exciting because I'm recognizing like, oh my God, they're pulling a, a Cinema Novo. To me, that was hugely exciting. That was a that was a movement that sort of began but, in the 50s. Yeah, but you know, like, uh, sorry about the Cinema Novo and uh, all your knowledge about it. I think I've seen very little just through my third cinema, probably, of classic like glimpses of it. But uh, but the general idea, I thought you're a big proponent, movies-wise in general, mm-hmm. um, even though you're like, <laughs> like a big history, uh, film history buff, is that they should be captivating and fun, entertaining, exciting, uh, without necessarily knowing all the references of the 100-year film history. <laughs> yeah, mean, but I'm I just think. saying, as a person who knows very you, little, it doesn't I mean, work, obviously. It just doesn't work at all. So I guess if I could enjoy all the references by knowing so much more, I guess it could be its own kind of pleasure of... Uh, I guess my I point know, is, I, mm-hmm. I'm getting a lot out of it for these reasons. Most people aren't going to know or care. I mean, it's... It, but that's it was what a, I'm saying. So It was a huge I, hit it, in Brazil, yeah. but most people probably don't even know or remember the Cinema Novo movement, or they're, I'm sure they're, mm-hmm. they're getting a lot more out of it just because they know all the, the language and the local references. Mm-hmm. But it's also doing incredibly well internationally. And in a very unusual way. For, and again, mm-hmm. I'm sure it's for a lot, mostly it's being written about in, in rave reviews just in terms of it's exciting. It's exciting to watch. And maybe they get some, a few of the genre references, but that's, that's all they're getting. It's so yeah, we're talking about me. it because I heard about it because it was, it was doing such business and pe- it was getting so much hype. That's how I ever heard uh-huh. about it. Got it. Well, yeah, I guess it's it's a, it's a, it's really a mystery to me. It just one thing about, and I'll stop referencing Parasite. One thing that <laughs> I just I have to say one one of the kind of the exciting part of like um, Parasite in, in what I observed is that um, what Bong Joon Ho pulled off is that um, actually I know that a lot of I met them personally. Uh, <laughs> I would say like I don't know horrible conservative right wing people love that movie for the opposite reasons you loved it because it was actually ambiguous and um uh like extremely inventive and smart in the way that uh it could appeal to them because they thought parasites are you know <laughs> the the poor climbers and and uh, yeah i met quite a number of people who loved it for this reason so it, it kind of played all fields it wasn't like as obvious even though we know we know where bon joon ho stands obviously but the way the movie itself plays out it, it, with, without even knowing his name or just like the people first for the first time watching this korean's director film it's the most popular one kind of can you know can experience this in this completely, you know, devoid of the politics kind of way and almost like, you know, they can, they can be on any political spectrum, basically, and they still enjoy it. That's that's what was kind of fascinating for me. Mm-hmm. And this film, it, it, and again, I'm not trying to compare, but there's something so, so simplistic in this kind of, uh, you know, again, I, I insist, this, especially the second part, once the Americans come in and start their being evil and, and uh, doing well, like just uh, human hunts. It's sort I mean, of, we yeah, but my point that is that clear. it's just so simplistic in terms of the villagers are like poor, good people, even like all <laughs> they're not presented as poor, good people. This is you're simplifying <laughs> in a way that that's not true. They're not being presented as in any way like, hero, you know, simple hero, heroic folk. That's not at all happening. You know, one one of the main characters that you find the most likable and is the most attractive um, is the the lead guy who's trying to stop being a gangster who's changed his name from what Pacote because he has Pacote, a local, yeah. you know, he's a, he's he's a local fave among the kids because he's like he's like a he's hitman. Assassin. For, yeah. He's in a total assassin, a goon. He goes around shooting people, and they watch, you know, comp of clips of his of his killings um 
but he's also the one who can finds you know a way to be now now we can find a way to serve his community in an unexpected way and it's the same thing with the lunga character um so they're wait, not being presented as wait did i perceive it wrong i thought he's assassin on the good side like it's not he's not just like killing he's not just no, a he's, hit he's man. been a gangster that's why he's changed that's why he's, he's gonna change his name i forget it's from pacote to something else he's like i'm trying it's when the, the you know the teresa mm-hmm. is like uh oh, you know gets on his case because of his of his criminal activities and he's like look i'm trying and that's the meaning of him trying to change his name though he changes it back again when he's gonna fight for the community um so no no he's one of the he's one of the gangst local gangsters Okay. Well, I guess. Well, uh, I mean. I, but anyway, go ahead. Go ahead on that. But n- no, I mean, I, I want you to first, <laughs> I guess, because uh, you have so much more, I guess, positive things to say. Because uh, m- most <laughs> most of my notes, how how messy and, and boring and excessively uh, excessively messy in a non interesting way, everything un- unravels. And and the, I think if we move into talking about the American presentation, which is interesting that they're there. I mean. I Plot-wise, I guess it's all of a sudden, like, I don't know, 50 or minutes in, you know, we have like the almost, um, you know, kind of unexpected if you watch it for the first time, uh, you know, appearance of the like, American characters in there. But it to, to me, they're so poorly, even though the career, it's like typecast, <laughs> uh, horribly acted, all the Americans are some weird, like, cliches but not grotesque and caricature enough to be sort of like fun and entertaining if it's um sort of like a horror supposed to be like yeah like a grotesque horror or something like that so to me it's like mostly just like very boring cliche uh and it's almost uh, i agree with you if i compare let's say the the village portrayal of the village which you refer to almost like um you know cinema novel tradition of that yeah it's so much more in- interesting and colorful than once the you know the American like human hunt starts, and that becomes to me is almost uh, kind of laughable and not intentionally so. And so, well, I can so agree that the cliche. worst performances mm-hmm. are by the. And you know, again, the Americans is tricky. It's supposed to be a combination of like Europeans, Australians, Americans. It's, a, it's supposed to be a mixture, but they're all English speaking, and that includes the two advance the kind of advanced force that they send into the village who are riding motorcycles and wearing you know ridiculous tourist uh, motorcycle riding outfits they're they're brazilian but the implication the south, is yeah. they're they're light-skinned brazilians who are essentially for money selling out the community to be the advance guard for these corrupt figures who are coming in and i don't know it seems ridiculous to be talking but we should just put a warning when we describe this that there's going to be spoilers because we can't even talk mm-hmm. about the film if we don't spoil <laughs> there's there's constant like reveals but uh, the main yeah. one is it's an elaboration of the most dangerous game but instead of it being hunting down <clears throat> In a rich people hunting in a preserve, people who are chosen and kind of brought in or something like that. Um, this is they've mapped out a whole town of people who presumably are regarded as not counting because it's a tiny remote village in this airport property stricken area. So they're going to hunt down everyone in and around the town. Basically, that's what. And Udo Kier is playing a German American, and as soon as Udo Kier <laughs> shows up, you're just like, "Yikes!" This is good. you. You kind of know the whole score. You know what's going to happen. Um, so yeah, so there's the, they are the most awkwardly acted of all the roles, not Udo Kier, but the other actors. The, the, the cast is a mixture of professional and non-professional, some, some local non-professionals. They're all mixed together in the film, which is, again, hearkening back to this Cinema Novo tradition, which feeds into third cinema. Um, so it, it works the least well, admittedly, in those, there's a kind of roundtable meeting scene practically among the, the, peop- the participants and what's going to happen. They're planning how it's going to go. Um, and yeah, it's, it's really, in a couple of cases, quite badly acted. And yeah, they're not fleshed out characters. They're not even intended to be fleshed out characters. There's also another reference that the film is clearly making. If you know Seven Samurai, it's like Mm -hmm. that in that there's this village that's under attack from terrifying forces. And you just, even in that case, you sketch in even more the terrifying forces that are coming in waves toward the town. Um, the, The level of interest isn't really really there in figuring out what kind of people they are. They're horrifying, exploitative people who get off on this this kind of advanced level of killing. I, I don't think the directors are even interested, and obviously they represent 
colonizing forces and elite, you know, the forces of, you know, the, the, the ruling class. And they're just, yeah, they're supposed to be bad. That's what they're there yeah, for. Yeah, but that's, that's what, uh, that's what I guess uh, my, <laughs> my genre, genre works best. Mm-hmm. That's so simplistic and so kind of like. Well, it's a genre boring. <laughs> it's a that, genre that part. So again, if you, you have to, you have to embrace if you're going to like this film at all. It's combination of art film tendencies and genre film tendencies, which is an unusual combination. Usually those things don't get combined that often, sadly. They're my favorite mm-hmm. combination, where you bring incredible levels of art and craft and ambition to a lot of genre film moves. I and, don't mind genre, but may I ask you, where exactly, as you said, immense amount of art ambition in I think in it's the film? beautifully shot. Beautifully, beautifully shot. Beautifully crafted in terms of the village. Everything that you, like I said, everything you found boring, I found amazing and fascinating and evocative and exciting. Um, So we're just talking it total from opposite ends. Everything that you dismiss as not working and boring and messy, I'm like, all the details are marvelous. I love that wonderful scene where you don't know where the menace is coming from, where the the two you don't know who they are. You think they might be tourists, but you don't know. They show up. They go to they go through the town, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden the town and the townspeople seem more dangerous potentially because you don't know what's happening yet. You just know these two maybe tourists showed up, and they go into <laughs> a shop to buy I don't know drinks or something. And there's there's like meat hanging from the rafters, and the way the 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 woman behind the counter and the small son who seems to be there with her kind of stare them down in this weirdly weirdly kind of blank yet fierce way. You don't know what to make of it. You know, there's a moment where they say something sort of insulting, like, what do you, you know, what do you call, what's the name of this town and what do you call the people who live in this town? Or, you know, presumably meaning, are they, are they Bakarawi? What are, what are they? And the, and the son says people and they both stare at them. And then they talk about what the town, the, the town means. It means Nighthawk or something like Nightbird. And they said, oh, is it, is it in a, they haven't heard of this bird. So they say, is that an extinct bird? And the woman says, not here. <laughs> it comes out at night and it hunts. So there's all this reversal of where's the menace coming from and what is the deal with this village and these townspeople, which we don't really Wait, so understand. Are you saying that, but are you saying you felt suspense at any like at some point? So, Incredible. Oh my I God, there's so no well. suspense for me at all. I like fell asloop a few times and I, I was totally, like... Totally, I loved, I loved all later. the evocations of what is the source of horror? What is the source of the mysterious threat to the village? I, I, you know, admittedly, this is an old this is an old um what uh overall narrative that we've seen worked through in a million different ways you know a town a community somehow is under some sort of threat you're trying to figure out the threat Mm -hmm. there's all this sleight of hand in the film pointing you constantly toward is it this is it that and then there are all sorts of signs and portents including the you know the first one which is just there's a truckload of coffins that is wrecked on the way into town foreshadowing which is to me it was so like um well no handed it's (laughs) i don't know what to tell you you hated everything about it i liked everything about it and it's also of course if you know your movies and you don't have to but if you do um it's 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 a citation of um uh, a fistful of dollars the first spaghetti you know the first sergey leone um, spaghetti western um where Clint Eastwood shows up, the man with no name in a town, and there's an amazing manufacture of coffins going on. Coffins, coffins, coffins. And you soon, of course, realize it's because the town endlessly manufactures bodies. There's just an endless supply of bodies, and you know the bloodbath is going to go down. So, yeah, it's that kind of portent that isn't trying that, – in that way, it isn't trying to be mysterious. It's just trying to suggest there's going to be something – horrible that's threatening this town why is a coffin a truck full of coffins headed toward this town um but you don't know and and, but it keeps moving and shifting what's the deal with the matriarch you know she seems to have such tremendous respect to the point of reverence but yet then there's this mysterious scene um at the funeral where the doctor just suddenly goes off and in a diatribe against the matriarch and causes a kind of scene at the funeral we don't know what that's about you know, it, it, we, we, and we're, it's never really answered, but it's part of the mysterious life of the town that we don't know the source of her power, the source of that power that she wielded, how, how that kind of worked. So that's another kind of like, is that is the death of the matriarch going to be key somehow? Is it this? Is it that? And you keep moving around among all the forces, which I think is quite intentional. I don't think it's messy. I think it's meant to be. 
what are the what are the sources that imperil the town? Everything imperils this town. It's a town full of poor people who nobody cares about and nobody wants. They're disappearing. The whole implication when they it's becoming clearer and clearer that something terrible is going to happen and they're disappearing from the satellite maps and they're losing all their cell phone coverage. It's because that town is going to be somehow sacrificed. Um, and that's not going to be an unusual thing to sacrifice whole communities um, to whatever, to whatever the powers that be are planning to do. So, you know, a lot of the readings of the film are in terms, of course, of politics. Um, you know, the, the director has kind of made fun of it the, to the extent to which people think he's literally doing a, a direct critique of the Bolsonaro government. As he keeps saying it's we wrote it before that happened. But they're big lefties. The directors, Sonia Braga is. And they have really incurred the wrath since he since he took power of Bolsonaro's administration. They are doing apparently everything in their power to destroy the Brazilian film industry. So there's just mm-hmm. shocking, shocking things going on. Just just pulling funding from films that are right about to about to start production and they'll just yank the funding. They're trying to get um, Mandanka to return the $500,000 he got for his first feature, Neighboring Sounds, claiming somehow he went over budget and now he owes them all this money. Um, so there's all this sabotage um, going on in the film industry. They pulled all the... Um, um, the the Rio Film Festival, they pulled the funding from it. There's just one thing after another they're doing to try to destroy the film industry. So at any rate, you know, and certainly this film's popularity is not is not is not helping Mendonca's um, case as far as Bolsonaro, who clearly wants him gone and out. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Well, the politics of it. I mean, I, I I guess I sympathize with the director, but all I'm saying is not enough to be left to to make. To make an entertaining film. Well, I mean, you don't even seem interested in any aspect. Of the, now I'm at, I'm sad I foisted this on you because now we don't really have anything to say. No, you know, I, have I can a lot go of on and on say. about it, and oh, you can no, no. say it's messy, it doesn't work, and it's boring. No, no, no. I have a lot of things to say that are kind of laughable to me specifically. Um, I mean, you you might explain whatever the death of matriarch eventually was inconsequential, but that doesn't matter. I don't mind the rhizomic quality of the plot. Not, not everything has to connect like A, B, C, D. I get it. That's I'm not pro like some kind of simplistic Hollywood structure, but just like the for instance the scene and there are many scenes like that, but this one particularly stood out as a kind of bad, poorly acted, and also like unintentionally funny when the Brazilian mercenaries from the south that clearly work for this like American goon like for for the evil Americans. um, Why do you keep saying the evil Americans? I don't understand. Evil Westerners. (laughs) The Westerners. Evil evil Westerners. Whatever they are, the evil English speaking. Of this is the German American Udo Kier, yeah. who, who right. is from Evil Germany Westerners. but lived in America for many years. Fine, but it still presents itself as like evil Western or gay, mostly American imperialist kind of mm. uh, people. Anyway, so uh, and when the Brazilian mercenaries are present at their um, table meeting, uh, everyone is kind of the evil Westerners make fun of them and actually don't even are not grateful at all <laughs> and uh and one of the points when they start making fun of them they say that the, this brazilians despite being i guess lighter skinned that that bucarau community they don't see them as white and they like laugh 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 at them um mm-hmm. and say whatever you like white mexicans and then when we, we see who who actually is saying that there are this um two women in the group which are by many standards are not actually white they look like armenian or middle eastern uh mm-hmm. whatever they're english speaking so i think ethnically which is like to me i mean <laughs> this was like extremely funny you like hear uh, all this um, sort of like racial whatever the slurs from the mouth of uh, Armenian and Middle Eastern just the, the two women only present yeah, but if in you that group if you st- looking women it's fucking hilarious well, and no it isn't because if, if you understand that whiteness as a category doesn't actually match up to true skin color <laughs> it doesn't that's why the Irish were considered not white and Italians weren't white. And you, you, as you ascend into any kind of power structure, you tend to be whitened by the power structure. So, in fact, it isn't funny. It's actually an astute kind of analysis of how this, this kind of thing works as far as an elite thing. You become whiter as a rule when, as you become wealthier and you get allowed to join um, the, the ruling class. Well, I guess it's so. If if that's the case, and it's specifically intentional, uh, then it's so poorly 
acted and somehow poorly shot that it just like didn't didn't come through for me like at all because again I insist like the most poorly acted parts and actually poorly written to just the dialogue are this like English speaking whatever Westerners or not not all of them I guess are Americans and it just completely it just completely takes you out of the film that world of the film which I agree the the, the village part of it sort of like I mean at least fairly consistent um, but once you move to the American or the Western compound where they live and prepare to hunt that, that just becomes I don't know I just only look at the stitches of how it's made mm -hmm. and again when I say you say oh I have nothing to say why women talk about it but when I say it's messy I mean I'm not just trying to I, I watched it carefully almost twice so when I say it's messy it's because I mean from my perspective especially it's like a over two hour long film it's sort of kind of surprising that you would want to make something that messy because isn't the idea partially of uh, you know I don't know if you're it doesn't matter if you even if you're evoking as you say mm -hmm. cinema nova and, and those more slower like third cinema like narratives uh, is that you know as a an artist filmmaker I don't know what people call themselves you're supposed to distill uh, something in you're supposed to distill life into something fairly like some kind of clear vision because yeah, otherwise why so? do anything at all <laughs> who says who says why why does it have to be a clear vision why can't it be there isn't a you can't get a clear vision of of the complexities of this community you're not supposed to get it i mean i think he, he it's not that hard to do if you want to do it he doesn't can't you just assume they don't want to do it why I else assume preserve that he wanted all the to mysteries no, no, no. I, I, Why else what preserve? I assume he wanted to convey the mood more than doing the clear yeah, kind of... or something like that. Of like, yeah, I think one of the things he wanted to avoid was these simple primitive people <laughs> who live, you know, these easily read lives. At least that's my guess. Instead, we want to imbue them with, you know, contradictions and, and there's areas of confusion and there's aspects of their culture and community that we're not, we're not going to get. We're not going to get clearly. We're not going to get easily. I, I, yeah, I just, I, yeah, I guess, I, no, my frustration is just like, it's it's hard to have a longer conversation about everything that's going on if you, if, you know, if you're not really interested in what's going on, because it just seems like so badly done to you. That's all. That's all I mean. But I don't mind. I don't remember all the care. I mean, it's not like I, I don't, I wasn't like carefully watching the plot twist. Mm -hmm. uh, but the, 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 for instance, one of the surprising things, I specifically watched it. It was like one hour and 30 minutes into this film. And for the first time, there was a satisfying, I agree, kind of satisfying, if you like carefully watch it. Uh, first kill of the American by, um, okay, I don't know. Was the American over the Western Evil Hunter? Um, mm -hmm. uh, straight shot in the head, very um, vivid um, by this medicinal kind of uh, old guy, whatever who who, who basically makes. Uh, I don't know what's his. I uh, mean, the farmer like, on the outskirts farm, of town. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But he's like not just a farmer. I think he deals with this like actually psychedelic medicine. Yes, he does. He's the one. Yeah. So there was, in short, anyway. Doesn't doesn't matter even by who, by the member of a community, by a member of the village community. Yeah, one hour and thirty minutes, and that was the first kind of you know satisfying. Yeah, if you're not also, interested in the buildup, it's true. You're you're not going to find anything. Like, Whoa, ninety minutes in. I mean, <laughs> that's something. Yeah, but so, I, again, I, I I had no problem. But at any rate, no, that's one of the thrilling scenes because the the, the man who's the farmer slash hero, you know, kind of healer figure who supply seems to be. Um, creating and supplying the drugs for the town. It's a little ambiguous. Um, it seems really vulnerable because he's older. You mm -hmm. know, he's kind of elderly. And I think it's just him and his wife, apparently, who are living out in this remote, you know, on the outskirts of town. So they're the they're the vulnerable that you think are going to get targeted. The the other mm -hmm. people who get targeted are these people on this ranch on the outside of town and everyone gets is found slaughtered. Um I think that's before. So you're expecting a second slaughter. Um, you, you have the, the local gangsters go to investigate, um, kind of low level, get sent out to investigate the, the ranch, and they find everyone, including the child, um, um, murdered and you know, flies buzzing around the blood and all the, everything else. And they come racing back, and then they are 
then slaughtered. Um, and then when you get to the to the old man who's also on this remote farm, you're like, oh, God, well, we know what's going to we're going to have to watch um, him and his wife get murdered. And instead, the sudden retaliation and, of course, connecting it to the drug seems important is this beautiful moment of like, OK, now it's on. Now the fight starts now that now they're actually we're going to see what the resources of the town are and the town's people are, which we've been getting intimations of. Are they actually the more dangerous figures? We don't know. Uh, um, and th- that's the first indication it's turning around. So for me, that wasn't the first <laughs> bloody encounter because we've seen the other bloody encounters. And that's what makes it exciting. We're expecting, oh, my God, are we going to have to watch this guy get murdered? Um, so, yeah. And then, of course, it builds to it. Just It's just the whole last chunk of the film is nothing but, you know, fighting and fighting and killing and blah, blah, blah. Um, there's also an encounter of children, you know, which is very tense because you're expecting, you know, these kids are, are playing a game about who can go the farthest out into the darkness, um, into the surrounding rough terrain and where you can't see anything. And it's very heart stopping because you're like, oh, are they really going to massacre all these kids? Oh, my God. Or even one of them. And, you know, this is a movie that doesn't hold back. So you have to be kind of ready for that stuff. If you can't handle a lot of blood, you shouldn't watch it. It's funny, you know, because even the kid, uh, the fact that their killed, uh, kid was killed. I mean, even that scene, it's like you can see it miles away from oh, happening yeah. because you already back. saw. You're, you know no, someone's no, no. going to die. It's like all predictable. And my point is that this, there's no suspense for me there because all the moves are predictable. Yes, of course. Well, like, For some people, you already know a kid who's going to get killed is always suspenseful. <laughs> it just you might say <sighs> okay. it's pure fire, but it's definitely going to be suspenseful. But I'm I'm actually it's interesting that you somehow not in, like against the fact that uh, or is if saying that we can't talk about the movie because I don't like most any anything in we it. We can talk like, about not it, everything, but, but I mean but, you so have I to, actually don't um, mind disagreeing. I'm enjoying this. Uh, all I'm saying. Well, no, is we can that, disagree. I'm just saying it's there's a lot going on in the film that you can say. Well, I don't like it, but you kind of there's no. No, point. but I'm not just saying I don't like it. I'm mm-hmm. trying to discuss even without necessarily obviously uh, without film historical whatever allusions and those mm-hmm. references. But I can talk about the form of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, a, in its pure term, how how it's made, not just the plot twist or what I don't like or I don't mm-hmm. care about this character. Yes, sure, I mean, it's, it's purely a, a poor, mostly purely acted, but okay, set that aside, I don't care. But even the way it, it's um, the way it's shot yeah. and the way it's like planned out and the way uh, the slow development of something or you say is a buildup, uh, for me, it's like um, doesn't work because it's all so kind of predictable, especially as I insist the second part after you already familiarize yourself with the life of the village, which is somewhat interesting, I agree, because you get to see this community and this life, uh, and if the director is from there, he really probably, as you insist, portray it in this kind of fairly accurate, uh, accurate manner. But oh, one, after that, it just all the even like all the killings, or supposedly, as you say, suspense of like, oh, is he is the boy going to kill killed, or is this person going to kill? What's going to happen? It's like you can see it from miles away. There, there's nothing unpredictable, and there's nothing kind of that holds you uh, kind of I don't know like uh, in again in any kind of suspense or uh, some sort of mystery of what's going to happen and the fact that eventually all the uh, evil people are <laughs> evil westerners are defeated uh, again you can see it from miles away too it's and it's like I won't say there's something particularly interesting or glorious about about it you know the way the way it ends it's like i guess satisfying from the way you write like oh that's like a left-wing perspective how rare you can, it is that you can find a movie like that and i politically i told i completely agree clearly it's rare but it's not enough to make a i think it's not enough at least not for everyone clearly to make a film that just somehow holds up as a film not as a some kind of political statement mm-hmm you know, well, so yeah. I don't so know. I can't. That I can't say. Obviously, I can't. I can't do any guarantee that you're going to find this exciting, especially if you've listened to this whole thing and haven't seen it, and now you know everything that's going to happen. But it, you know, the best way to see the film, I would argue, is is to not to not know, um, because at least for the people that it's working for, what it's being raved about is, in fact, how unpredictable people find it. Um, so that that's a big part of the pleasure of trying to trying to spot the source of menace and figure out where it's coming from and what's actually happening and all that that stuff is what's driving I think the excitement about the film for a lot of people and especially the mm-hmm. and admittedly it's also the bloodbath that's 
kind of combined with politics that we don't usually see. Um, certainly if you're on the left and you're waiting for someone to rave about a thrilling genre film for you, you can wait a fucking long time, right? Because <laughs> what is usually being recommended to you if you're a socialist or a communist or whatever, it's, you know, it's it's some important documentary or biopic or the latest Ken Loach or Mike Lee film or, you know, it's, it's all very kind of somber and earnest, usually not genre films. They're usually art films and documentaries and, you know, obviously self-consciously important films Mm -hmm. and so the very thing you can never get and which to me is very important that we do get because that it has far greater mass appeal is the politics combined with the genre now here if they're doing cinema novo slash third third cinema intentionally Mm -hmm. which i think they are but i don't know i can't i so far i haven't seen in a in an interview uh, the obvious connection that that they're saying they're doing but in my guess they are it's a it's a risky thing especially to be doing genre film moves that are international and even more especially that that are associated with american films because that was one of the 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 wars being fought by cinema novo and third cinema filmmakers they were trying to break the hold of hollywood especially of hollywood genre narratives on the population. In Brazil, their whole history was, uh, not whole, but a lot of their film Mm -hmm. history was this tremendous dominance of Hollywood. The usual American cutthroat policies had basically taken over (laughs) over most of the theaters in Brazil and filled them with American um, content. And if Mm -hmm. you wanted to be successful, and it became very popular, like in most places in the world, in in the Hollywood studio era, Hollywood films are so popular, that the local films to be try to be popular too, had to try to make Hollywood or felt they did had to try to make Hollywood style genre films themselves and spectacles. So that was a lot of what Brazilian cinema was. And Mm -hmm. Cinema Nova comes along and says, we're going to cut that cord. It's disastrous. Um, We want our own films. We want films to explore our own um, lives, histories, culture, et cetera, cultures, because there's so many, you know, so many, um, especially remote region cultures that aren't ever even making it out of the screen. And we especially want to get rid of that influence. So this film in kind of bringing back in the very, the first thing that got shoved out, that's, you know, it would have been regarded as quite quite not the thing to do. So that's a kind of dicey move, you could argue. One thing, because I think we started talking about it before we actually, I pressed record, The because um, the director, right, likes uh, Carpenter, and mm-hmm. there are like a few references to that, and even there's like a one um, fully like Carpenter written song that became a soundtrack for one of the scenes, mm-hmm. kind of an interesting uh, sort of capoeira dancing, right, the village dancing mm-hmm. scene, remember? But anyway, and then there was like a great Carpenter song, I looked it up, it's called Night. Um, it just, uh, the composition hero it was never used in any of his movies. Yeah, and, and that was like a, di- a direct, di- kind of mm-hmm. direct reference. But you were saying that uh, we kind of missed that, but it was there that even on one. Yeah, of I have the to buildings. watch it again. To, supposedly on one of the buildings, it says th- th- in Portuguese the John Carpenter School or something like that, <laughs> and I didn't see it. So now I want to go back and see it. I guess John Carpenter leads the list of names that the Mendonca mm-hmm. mentions as his favorite genre filmmakers of this the set, what he considers the greatest era of genre filmmaking, which is for him is the 70s to early 80s. I mean, um, I agree. Carpenter is, yeah. like, is one of the masters, uh, if not the, the most important master. But mm-hmm. uh, one of the things about the Carpenter, and I wonder how, <laughs> how, how I don't know how you see it. I mean, because I, lo- I love John Carpenter. I didn't watch all of his films. But one of the things that Carpenter um, does, even if it's um, some of the things are sometimes in his movies, he, admittedly, some of the things are also kind of like poorly acted, but it never, it doesn't matter because uh, he's a, an amazing kind of, genre filmmaker uh, but uh carpenter always gets to the kind of uh, into the action and to the point very quick so it what, what surprised me if the director is inspired by carpenter and clearly there are carpenter references that obviously i don't get all of them but is that oh like why don't you do then the carpenter thing which is always be actually um, kind of succinct and <laughs> to, to the point and quick and you know right straight into the kind of quick into the action and uh, almost like you can start mid-action and and all and all that which carpenter's films one things you can say uh about his films that they're slow boring you know and uh so i guess that's my kind of carpenter um 
commentary because yeah that that's like very for for filmmaker inspired by, Carp- Car- Car- by carpenter it's a very kind of uncarpenter approach to to make to making this film yeah and and you know next week we're planning to get into a you know like a tribute episode to john carpenter and i'm also working on a piece for jacobin on um john carpenter and especially the and madonka's attitude toward him is very typical right now of you know mm-hmm. a lot of young people who have a who revere Carpenter? He's he's had a he's had sort of a resurgence <laughs> um, um, among people who weren't even around when you know Halloween came out and other films that you know, other other early films he made came out and and you know what's what's powering the their real reverence for him um, that has cropped up. So that's going to be interesting. Cause, you know, he his career kind of washed out um, at a certain point in what the I don't know late nineties. Is that right? Um, and it's it's interesting how how strongly he's come back in in the imaginations of a lot of young people. Interesting. Yeah, well, it's because a lot of the movies, even when you watch Escape from New York, <laughs> it seemed like um, found new relevance now, you know. Yeah, and that could be the argument. Is it just, you know, is the uh, is it They Live, and which seems to be one of the most widely watched of his mm-hmm. films, the the clear politics of it? Is it is it what? What is what is driving? Um, and yeah, that's what that's the point of, you know, kind of investigating what's driving the popularity. Is it just that he's a kick-ass <laughs> director that's been rediscovered? I mean, it seems like there's got to be something more than that. Yeah, I wonder. You know how usually um, with with this uh, with this type of director, some like um, you know, he's like was a popular director. He made Halloween, but there was not uh, back in the day. There was not much respect uh, towards him as a, like an auteur. No. And then Europeans or French get to appreciate the same American auteur yes. before the Americans get to appreciate him. And they've been doing that for decades. Oh yeah. So that's that's exactly the case. Uh, well, in his case, I don't know. I, I mean, I would have to look if it tr- hangs true to form. But the French mm-hmm. have been all over American cinema <laughs> forever, long before the Americans, you know, at least yeah. had any respect. It was always popular, but there was no there was no real sense that this we were doing anything great. Well, finally, well, they're slow, but they're catching up. At least the new, I guess, the new crop, the new generation. Mm-hmm. Oh, is it Darcy? Oh yeah, sorry, she's losing it. Probably the mailman. <laughs> Yeah, I guess I do have any closing because you're almost like defending. <laughs> I'm more than defending. I, I'm the biggest proponent of the film. I, I think it's important in a larger sense. I mean, mm-hmm. I've been harping for a long time on the left is is seriously deficient in popular appeal. We just got to face the facts that this niche <laughs> uh, kind of clubby um, existence of the left in tiny mm-hmm. remote corners, even even now when you're looking at, you know, we've had we've had months of protest marches that seemed encouraging. It affects such a small part of the population. And if you have relatives and friends in, in the majority community, they barely know of our existence other than mm-hmm. like what's up with those people. And it, part of it is that there's no plan there's no desire to harness that i can see i mean to harness mass media in a real way which you know left-wing political movements of earlier eras that's the first thing they started talking about how are we going to do this how are we going to get into people's imaginations this is an obvious way let's do it and we just seem to have no such plan so every time there's a film that comes along that does well um internationally and especially that's going to take advantage of genre tropes even if that's considered it would have been considered politically problematic to me. It's just like, no, they're popular. They're internationally popular. Let's find ways to grab people in ways that they care about in ways they find pleasurable. And mm-hmm. um, we've got to make inroads on the mainstream population and we're not, we're not doing it. Yeah, I agree. And I think uh, if someone missed that or haven't read it, I think uh, you, you wrote a great piece for Jacobin uh, called Death of a Revolutionary Film Form. Right. Yeah. I think that kind of touches on the, um, at least the, um, I don't know, the circumstances of, right. of that. And the, the previous, the, the ambition of previous film movements to, to do this and to have a huge impact and the, and the absolute death of it in, what, since the 70s, there's been no mm-hmm. revival of, of the ambition to like, we've got to make left politics and left ideology central to people's lives in a way that the right has been completely successful. Yeah, with their status quo, like bullshit they're yeah. making in hunt, like, I don't know, tens of the films they year. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I talk to you next week. Okay. Next week. John Carpenter week. Bye. All right. Bye.